0: the Xenothesis podcast. This is episode 47 in which we are discussing chapters 9 and 10 from part 3 of book 2 Adulted Rights, of the Xenogenesis Trilogy by Octavia Butler. Uh, my name is Richard Acton. I'm joined as always by my co-host
1: Michael Glinka. Hi everyone. It's been a while Richard.
0: Yeah it's been a little while since we uh, last recorded right? <laughs> yeah
1: it's forgetting basic things or how to set it up and everything and you would think it's only a few weeks been. It's been a few weeks.
0: <laughs> yep uh, that's uh you know, this stuff kind of <laughs> slips out of habit pretty quickly
1: <laughs> yeah it's, it's crazy um but it's good to be back to have a nice discussion about the book and other stuff mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. going off tangent the usual good 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 stuff
0: <laughs> yep yep right uh so uh should, should we jump straight in with your predictions for for chapter nine
1: sure um god it's been a while but i thought at the time when we um because we recorded lot, like the, the chapters in consecu, you know, consecutive manner, uh, and so the last episode was released. But for us, it's been weeks. Um, so chapter nine prediction: I wrote that Akin and Tikuchakt bond gets fixed at least to a certain extent, um, so that they can communicate without feeling disgusted or disturbed uh, when mm-hmm. talking mm-hmm. to each other. But it's still something like not fully like there yet, and. Maybe I thought akin's um human maleness could be affecting it or you know, his independent or something in him is sort of affecting this um bond or their okay. behavior yeah, yeah
0: well, I mean it, it does seem as though uh, we do get a a little bit of a fix to their bond at least by the end of this the first chap this first chapter uh, at least they're no longer like actively repelled by one another i suppose
1: true but the thing is considering the fact that this is last two well nine and ten and there's one more chapter before we finish this part i should Mm -hmm. have also thought that this um might be you know leading towards the end of this um section you know the whole akin's um issue with the um consensus and the whole um Know humanity having their own agile. I didn't think of it at all. I was at the time, I wasn't certain what's going to happen
0: later on. Well, it's kind of a little unclear, right? If that was going to be something that would be resolved, yeah, or or at least um, made progress on uh, like quickly or later on. Um, So, yeah, I I can see why it wouldn't necessarily have been like, yeah, top of your, uh, yeah.
1: I thought this would be like, um, you know, he's learning about the Onkali and there's gonna be some dark secret somewhere and then he's gonna go back to, I don't know, in the last chapter going back to the Earth and be like, why not with the Onkali and become a proper messiah for <laughs> the humans, but no, nothing like that. Okay,
0: yeah, not not really, yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing so simple. No, unfortunately,
1: how <laughs> uh, can I say, I'm, I'm a simple man, um, but anyway. <laughs> Let's get to chapter 9 summary then. Sure. Um, so after being forced to sleep, Akini wakes up with to find no one around him. Um, so as everyone would do, goes outside to investigate, you know, if Tikucha or uh, um are anywhere near, but just couldn't find them. You know, as he was looking around, you know we get some description of the ship's features you know like he described as the gentleness of the ship without any areas rough areas um that akin was used to in the jungle everything sort of available at the wave of hand you know you know, food whatever everything was perfect and looking around he saw the green limbs um above him producing oxygen um it feels like he felt homesick because of his environment, current environment. Well, again, it's a tough little nut. Um, getting used to be walking mm-hmm. around jungle now being in a safe, sterile environment. Understood that he feels a bit out of place. And he then mm-hmm. decides to check if there's any messages left for him. So he connected to the fax or, uh, <laughs> you know, um, m- message, uh, Message system on the ship and only gets weight, uh <laughs> signals from the ship, so I can wait it. I mean,
0: yeah, I this is interesting. Uh, actually, the two interesting things are the, the, the contrast between the the ship um, and the um, and low right, where mm. low is kind of, feels more organic. Yes, like, ironically, where like the the ship itself feels sterile to him but for for us in previous context it's always been cast as being fairly organic yes Uh, like uh, basically
1: you're surrounded by tissue all you know mm -hmm, no matter where you look yeah i mean the whole thing
0: is an organism and yet it seems kind of a little bit more orderly than you would expect Mm. so it's it's an an interesting contrast and then yeah the the ship does email apparently (laughs) (laughs) you know i was
1: you know i just thought that you know like obviously um Akin being a you know being human living as a well human construct on um, Mm -hmm. on the earth and obviously you get uh, being on earth as uh, basically you know you get covered with like all sorts of things like bacteria spores and whatsoever right and Mm -hmm. you come on a ship like I wonder how does the ship react to all those little pathogens um, on the surface of like all those that come from Earth. Because right? even in mm. law, I don't think it, it, the little sort of uh, seedling of a ship would be able to sanitize them or st- sterilize them before they get to the big ship or like I wonder if there's like the cells would um, the, the ship would like you know when they sleep sort of attack the bacteria or whatever mm. cl- sterilize their surface or maybe um, inject the well, I mean... organelles into the bacteria or something.
0: Mm, right, yeah so that last one is there's a definite potential I think but the, yeah I suppose they would have gotten used to it to some degree or, or already figured out how to accommodate that back when they were first bringing on board humans right mm-hmm. because you know, they would have had bacteria and then we have a whole bunch of mutualistic bacteria living on our skin and in our gut that we can't uh, you know function well without so yeah. uh, like we we need a whole cohort of uh, of mutualistic organisms to, to function so it's uh uh, they must accommodate that somehow or other um, but i suspect they're also trading with all of those organisms as well
1: <laughs> i guess so because i mean you know it's been several decades since um you know last we had lilith on the ship and you know for mm-hmm. uh, akindus being few you know 20 years basically so within 20 years all sort of like all sorts of like diseases could have evolved um mm-hmm. at least for the human resistance because i guess the People who live in the construct villages would be immediately healed by their alloys oil and stuff like that in case anything happened. So,
0: I, mean, I suppose they have good, um, what we might call bio surveillance, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: COVID version of uh, in the uh, <laughs> on Kali world,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, they just see all the organisms with their various biological senses, and if there's anything that's problematic, it gets immediately zapped, <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah.
1: But yeah, um, eventually, uh, you know, after some time, Akin, uh, after some time, he could tell that the kayak had returned without looking. Um, Akin, you know, felt that its scent overwhelmed his senses so much that he didn't even realize that he was grasping him as if someone was to take all away from him. You know. um, gradually, though, he was able to let go of it and focus on other things that, that scent than the scent of the Uloi. Um, Akin mm. realized that he was lying down alongside the kayak comfort, comfortably and content The scent was still interesting but no longer overwhelming Here's an excerpt from a book He wanted to stay near the Uloi felt possessive of it but was not totally focused on it He liked it He had felt this way about resisted women who let him make love to them and who saw him as something other than a container of sperm they hoped might prove fertile
0: Yeah, this, this uh, struck me as an interesting little... Passage, right? That there's kind of a lot of uh, stuff baked in there that feels like it might somehow be some kind of commentary on on human sexuality, right? The yeah, the possessiveness, definitely. um, and the whole um uh, aspect of like you know this. You know, Akin has is experiencing this uh, this sensory input, this smell, and then he's just like lying down next to Dechiat, embracing it before he's even like realized that. Yeah. Um, it seemed like a. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff in, uh, you know, especially in in the recent era, discussing like human uh, sexual interactions in mm-hmm. in this kind of context of you know like uh, like in in this case, like Deckyat is is not um, like it, it, it seems to be perfectly fine with this interaction with mm-hmm. Akeen, yes. but it also doesn't seem to be really in control of the degree to which it's like having this effect on a keen yes uh, and a keen also doesn't seem to be at all really in control over like but the degree to which yeah. he is affected yeah, yeah. by yeah. deck yet. um and yeah i, I just thought that that the, that um and there's some parallels there to the whole discussion that uh, humans have about you know consent and uh, the, the um, power relationships in in like sexual interactions, and mm-hmm. you know the whole thing about like victim blaming and dressing provocatively. Uh, this this uh, like no absolutely analogy absolutely. to that, and the the kind of sensory. Uh, yeah, and, and, uh, it's it's this sort of stuff where there's this kind of. Uh, like interesting and nuanced uh, uh, commentary on these kind of relationships mm. that uh, that I found uh, it's one of the things I find most interesting about Oct- Octavia's work I'm not sure what she's trying to say but <laughs>
1: well to be fair <laughs> but, I mean yeah. um I, I see what you're, where you come from with this because, uh, you know, for example, the, the little passage when he says, like, he felt this way about the resisted women who let him make love to them and who saw him as mm-hmm. something other than the container of sperm they hoped might prove fertile, right? It's, you know, mm-hmm. like, he's not just walking sperm bank, but... Um, you know, an actual thinking human being. So you know, it's it's it is a parallel to what you're saying. Absolutely, I agree. For me, though, that um the whole interaction with the kaya it was more of like I-, I took it as a you know animals in heat sort of thing releasing pheromones where mm. um it just overwhelms overwhelm Akin who has never experienced this, but there's some part of onkali that could um that in him that uh response to the uloy pheromones and so i thought that this is more like this but mm. i do agree that it, it does have um it does show that there is some commentary about the um behavior of human behavior um and in our in current society and things that you know are now changing towards the yeah. consent
0: and it, it's interesting actually because it, like the analogy to animals uh, in heat kind of raises the like what you know what she's able to do here in the sci-fi context is is is, is take like stimuli and turn them up to eleven. Yes. Right. Uh, it's, uh, and she can also have, unless you know, she can change the kind of uh, the somewhat change the dynamics of of uh, like sexual politics because you know Deckyad's not female. It's. Uloy, yes. where right? there is no particular analogy there, and uh, you know the they're all you know like um, intelligent, ad- agentic, sentient entities making choices, but at the same time they have these uh, like really like overwhelming biological um, stimuli yeah, yeah this kind of more animalistic stuff yeah it's really a, a really interesting combination of, of factors
1: it is uh, in, like it, it's, it's fascinating because we you know the onkali keep talking about the human uh, contradiction as they call it they you know having intelligence mm. and hierarchy uh, hierarchical behavior. But Don Kali also, you know, they have probably surpassing the intelligence of humans, definitely because they can, you know, connect with each other, you know, um, bringing brainstorming to another level, but also mm. uh, depending on this sort of biological stimuli that, as you said, are cranked up to, up to 11 um, mm. to ensure that one, there's a continuation of the. Um, the onkali sort of let's say bloodline or species as a whole mm-hmm. and to that the, you know the trade and the you know the gene exchange to takes place so it's it's not that they're like I would say that the onkali don't see it but it feels to me that they don't realize that they're also a victim to their own biology right they they you know the behavior <laughs> they're exhibiting it is still there and it's very much animalistic from the probably the ancient ancient onkali that you know the monkey, monkey mm. ve- level of uh, Onkali, I would say, or even further. Yeah, it's a,
0: down. it's, it's um, like you have this this combination in the Onkali of uh, what we've discussed a bit before, but you know my thoughts on how their um, the biology is in some sense more uh aligned with their uh, conscious thinking yes. on stuff because yeah. they have more control over it. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, the other dimension of that is that Dekya is not yet mature right That's it's true. it's a subadult adult stage so it doesn't really like know how to navigate it, its control over its biology and it still it still has incomplete control over the stuff like its senses um so you've got that kind of like youth and discovery of of capability yeah. uh, component to this this whole thing as well and then uh, uh another whole uh like the other aspect of the kind of, sort of power dynamics of this relationship is also that, like you know, the, the Uloi are the ones uh, who have like complete power over the humans in this context, right? They're yeah. kind of in the like colonial imperialist type role to the the humans. So it's a, 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 a but you know then there's you know Akeen who's uh, male who's uh, doing you know, kind of like grabbing um, Dekyat, but Dekyat is an uloi who's in the sexuality or sort of sexual hierarchy of the uh, Ankali, the uloi seem to be the ones who are on top so yeah it's a whole uh, complicated mix of power dynamics and all that yeah. stuff in there yeah it's, uh, it's, it's this sort of stuff that like way back in the very first episode i said that uh, i think some of the stuff in this book might make like uh, like the current uh, um like culture uh, uh, and um uh, um thinking uh of uh, like uh, some of the sort of um feminist and like uh, postmodern uh colonialist um or decolonization type or all, all of that kind of uh uh discourse like mm-hmm. <laughs> That uh, you know, Octavia was kind of popular with a feminist o- audience, but I thought like the, the the nuanced and complicated framings that she have for all this stuff, I thought might make some of those people uncomfortable. Yeah, uh, uh, th- absolutely. Th- this is the sort of thing I was getting at.
1: <laughs> no, no, to be fair, like she, it's as you said, few, very many times in previous episodes, Octavia Butler has this fantastic method of um, addressing sort of so- do a social commentary, but by u- utilizing a in a way alien species that we can sort of we can take some lessons from but not really fully uh, relate to and yeah it's it it does really show that you know like it's not patriarchy, not patriarchy, it's all a tri- uh, triarchy I can't yeah 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 probably and you know <laughs> But you're right, because, you know, all of them, uh, Akin, T and the Kaya are all sort of pubescent sort of teenagers who are about to become adults in Onkali's eyes. So they're all still sort of the things that happen to them is still a massive, you know, unknown, Mm -hmm. especially with the constructs, uh, because they have a mix of both the Onkali and human. So it's, mm. nobody really knows what's happening and, you know, the responses they are getting are just, wow, you know, like in normal yeah. circumstances it probably wouldn't take place, but here it's just, it's a first time thing and nobody uh, is sure is like, you know, yeah. is it okay? Is it not okay? You know, it's like, it's good that the uh, the kayak is fine with it, um, mm-hmm. but he's, you know, he's still learning how to control it. It's, uh, you know, its own body. So,
0: yeah and that's one of the things that i uh, that i like about uh, octavia's writing is that it feels as though she's having a conversation with herself where she hasn't settled on the answer to the question true right that's it's a common thing in what i what is the most interesting and engaging writing is where an author is actually having like a serious discussion through the medium of different characters when they don't know <laughs> what the answer to a question is right it's just kind absolutely. of absolutely it's it's uh like we've been saying it's kind of social commentary but it also it's uh, it's social commentary where like an answer is not given. <laughs> no, absolutely, a, like, absolutely. This is a really complicated scenario, and, uh, and it, uh, yeah, it, it's an interesting um, like it 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 I don't know it feels like it could be read as as a it feels as a critique of the whole framing of the question and and like more focused on kind of you know, how the individuals in this context like uh, feel about the um, the nature of their the interactions yeah that's No that's, that's
1: true but it, if it's, hmm. um, if I can like say it depends on like your perspective right because oh, yeah, this definitely. this is question of like for example for myself it was more like this whole interaction was like oh i thought it was more like you know the guy kind of releasing pheromones like animals that sometimes are in heat and then you know that's the response you get but as you said it's cranked up to 11 but then for some people because you know i never really struggled with my sexual you know struggle struggled with my sexuality but so for people who did it could be like oh this is more of like you know it there's layers to it that can people can mm. respond to it um but the you know but the author octavia in this case cannot really respond because she doesn't know the answer to it, because the answer there's no really answer. The answer is personal to everyone, and it depends on how and what sort mm-hmm. of experiences they had. And you know, it's it's an interesting yeah. aspect, especially when you discuss it and you think about it longer. It's like, oh, it could be this, mm-hmm. and or it could be that. Um, but and, at and the end can of the day, very,
0: mm-hmm. it's, uh, and you could come to very different perspectives, on yes. it depending on the like the the cultural lens or frame that you come Absolutely. to the. The, um, this particular uh, story, with right, I think you can you can read it, you can read it very differently depending on which frame you're looking at it through. Yeah, right? absolutely. Always, a, I think a, a sign of a, 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 an interesting to engage with text.
1: Right? Mm, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it does. I can I can imagine though it does. You know, as you said, can prove people being uncomfortable with the maybe some conclusion they can come come with from. Um, from this sort of yeah, like these passages, the, because you can read it
0: a number of different ways. If if you uh, read it uncharitably from a particular frame, yes. then you will you can it can rub you the wrong way, or you can you know, look at it in in multiple. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of different perspectives you could take on this and, and see it many different ways. And it's yeah, but no, and that, that, that's not just like this particular piece of the text, right? Oh no it's no, there's multiple where, like, cases of that at work.
1: Yeah. yeah. Throughout, yeah, yeah. Mm. but yeah, should we um continue yeah. with the um, yeah, yeah. the passage? So yeah, Akin um asked if he will need constant readjustment. Um, but mm, in terms of the readjustment to the to his pheromone to the that smell or the sensory overload, but but the kayak declined. Akin would not do any work, and if it continued, like you know, if he couldn't do any work, if he could, if it continued like that, um. Mm. Tikuchak was also there, and when Akin tried to reach him, he was stopped by uh, the kayak. Even though they were not mated, it was still important that Akin does not touch T. And, you know, Akin tells the kayak that, you know, he doesn't want to be bound to it. And the kayak tells him that it can't bind him, that Akin is not constructed to be bound. Um, mm-hmm. In response, Akin tells him that, you no. Know, as a kid, it, uh, he was told that he will wander, and he's afraid that he won't have home when he becomes an adult. And this sort of is, you know, is refuted by a um telling Akin that you Nolo know, would always be his home. Um, but Akin tells it that, you know, it won't be the same as for T and the kayak seems to be very sure that Akin is not flawed, flawed in any way um, and he and he is whole and whatever he becomes it will be complete whatever he decides it will be alright um, Akin mm. tells them there is one thing that seems right even now he was sure of it since he was a baby he then sat up but being in proximity of the kayak made him crave for it um, so he got off from the bed and platform and sat beside it so he does not have to look at
0: the Oloy. One thing before we uh, move on to kind of that that next section there, mm-hmm. I'd thought about this before, but I forgot to put it in the in the notes. But this whole thing of um, Akeen not being like built to be uh, bound, mm-hmm. um, I think there's an interesting analogy there to um, oh, I'm forgetting the word uh, like male morphs in many species who have a um, uh, like a function of leaving the main population and going out and finding uh, uh mates in another group that happens to, a lot of them like, like predatory the animals diversity.
1: doesn't it like lions and stuff and stuff like that i mean it's all over
0: like you have it in in like ant colonies you know you've mm-hmm. got the flying ants that are a male morph that go out and find another colony you've got the um like bull elephants wander mm-hmm. around on their own. Um, naked mole rats have a, a, a morph that's that it's a male that goes out and finds another colony. That mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a fairly uh, common feature. Um, but, yeah, this this kind of uh, you know, wanderer, <laughs> to use this, uh, the word that's come up a couple of times in yes. this book, um, uh, uh, like uh, mode, um, is, a, is a common thread uh, in, in various biological contexts.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we've mentioned that a few times, I think, and like I think actually even two episodes ago, we actually talked about it in, in quite a detail, if I remember correctly, because I remember putting the notes, mm. the Wanderer song from Fallout. Uh, yeah, yeah, so that's <laughs> why. What... <laughs> no.
0: But I think that that had come up, uh, it come up in kind of a, a Keen's um, in a experimentation with the resistor women, I yes, suppose. Yes. Yes. But uh, this seems like a more um, like explicit. Uh, like almost like you, you, were designed to not be part of one of the conventional uh, like Oankali threpples. Yes, it, yeah. It's which is an an interesting uh, feature to have designed into him. like what what was the motivation for them to make him not be bound to a pair?
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, I mean, it's interesting because it, they say that it was the Oankali males that are supposed to wander. But is it the uncalm males, or is it the construct that they were supposed to wander? That they never really specified that in the book, have they?
0: Um, I I don't know. I mean, they're, they're often more conservative in some way or another with yeah. the constructs, right? So yeah. if, if the males are are, are, are are more typically the ones that change um, population mm. or, or go out to find a, a mate in another group, group then it would make sense that the keen would also be that but it, it doesn't quite fit with the whole going to find an, another population and bonding with them makes sense but not necessarily going to find another population just not bonding mm-hmm. right it's a an interesting addition to that mobile well, well, or maybe that is part of the um their conservatism about construct males right maybe they don't want him to bond but that seems more risky than having him bond i don't know it's a Hmm. i haven't quite fathomed why why they made that choice
1: yeah that's that's interesting but yeah so going to the sort of new section of this chapter is on this exit from the book humans are freer to decide what they want he said softly the only thing they are the kite replied yes Lilith was not free sudden freedom would have terrified her although sometimes she seemed to want it the contradiction in humans was real Akin wasn't sure what would happen to humanity if it was freed. Maybe they would finish off what they started you know, before, or maybe they would evolve their intelligence beyond their hierarchical behavior and survival. Akin then asked uh, the Kaya if it would come to Earth with them. But it's a no, you know, because Tikuchak still doesn't know if it will be a male or female. But Akin like, tells the Uloid that it's not about mating, it's to help Akin with his work. His work of establishing a new world for the Akja humans. Even though Dek um, tells him that they will fail, Akin wants them to you know, wants to let them have the choice. The same choice mm. Onkali have the right to. He then went to and connect his tongue to T's neck um through the connection, um carefully explained and showed all he knew about the humans. He made them understand what the Onkali did to him during his abandonment as a child. He made the Oloy understand on an utterly personal level what he has suffered, he had suffered, what he had become to believe, to believe, and until he finished, neither could escape. But when he did, they both immediately left, said nothing, just got up and left him. That's where the chapter ends.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's an, an, another interesting and unique attribute of the Olenka, right? That uh, capacity to um, uh, kind of. Uh, almost like force uh, empathy right, right? They, they can make you see things from their experience of a, uh, of a situation mm, absolutely this, this level of sensory access an, an interesting ability because like you know we lack it and it might be useful it would, I
1: think it would I think it'd be fantastically useful I mean if you could experience what people you know um, have experienced I think a lot of things mm-hmm. would not have take place anymore in our planet. Mm-hmm. Considering you know, like, if you could experience someone's pain, I'm pretty sure a lot of things would have been solved very quickly.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, To 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 actually be able to to, to inherit and sort of inhabit someone else's uh, 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 standpoint, someone else's view, that's uh, yeah, uh, a a, a powerful thing.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah.
1: I guess let's go to chapter ten predictions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: So, hmm. I
1: wrote that the wholeness of Akin and the experiences he accumulated while he was on Earth and between humans um, led to Tikuchar and realize why he is the way he is, and why his mission was so important that you know made them that le- led to them join his effort to let the Agja humans to exist. Um, so basically, in my mind, I thought they received a fucking shock uh, when what you know after you know. From Akin, mm-hmm. what he Akin experienced, and then they just went on and shared that you know experience with whoever they could, they knew on the ship, and you know that sort of well. I didn't know that would trigger anything as it did in the chapter ten, but I knew that it's some, it it was leading to
0: something. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you you, you made it pretty broad. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> so mean, I suppose you, you kind of uh, you kind of got a, a, a win in that column. But, uh, in in a way, you know, yes, because
1: I wasn't certain yeah. if they're going to be like, um, what specifically is going to happen? You know, mm-hmm. what I, I thought to myself, or maybe the kayak sort of will change his attitude towards Akin after you know, like it's not going to be about mating anymore. Like completely, that's going to completely cease. In a way mm-hmm. that because the experiences and then he will go it will go and share its experiences with his par, with its parents mm-hmm. uh and you know tikuchak on the other hand would like in the same time realize why there's a problem what there was a problem between akin and it um from the time he was born and mm-hmm. um but, you know make him realize like you know whatever did the Onkali decide, except for their family, because the family was obviously against it, the whole Mm. um, abandonment. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, they would develop some sort of hatred towards the Onkali or something. Um, But I wasn't certain if, you know, any sort of result yet in terms of, like, the conversation of the whole Onkali society would take place. It was more like the local sort of groups that are around Akin would um, start to realize that, oh, actually... This is more serious hmm. that the child. What child? Child and well, akin as a child re- experienced.
0: Interesting. Yeah, is that uh, um, that, uh, that's kind of what you'd expect in a more like um, human context about this kind of um, uh, experience, right? That it, it can't go from like a few individuals to a large scale very readily. Yeah. In in the way that humans function, but it seems as though. Um, this the akjai that akin had you know uh, formed a friendship with yes uh, in that or in that kind of mentor student relationship experienced what he had shown t and deck and deck and and uh, you know then like decided to take action as a result yeah uh, it seems that that kind of uh, like having the direct uh, experience of that uh, spurred it to to take some action yeah and then you know engaged the all of the rest of the uh, species, absolutely, <laughs> in its consensus conversation. Uh, so yeah, that's yeah, a, a really interesting result. Uh, so I mean, you, you're definitely kind of on the right track, but it like scaled more rapidly than you. Yeah, I really
1: didn't expect this to take, you know, immediately be like consensus time. You know, like. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's like you were suddenly summoned in front of like a parliamentary committee. Basically, (laughs) yeah, like, you know, imagine
1: you have a conversation with your friend about like, oh, we should maybe, you know, it'd be a good idea if the government this, and then suddenly you're standing in front of the whole parliament uh, and you're just like, yeah, producing your idea and just like, okay, cool. Um, That escalated quickly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. So, yeah, Uh, let's get to the summary, I guess. Um, So, Mm The Akjai Uloi that we've met before, who, as Richard mentioned, was the sort of had the teacher to student relationship with Akin, uh, went ahead and spoke to the people for Akin, in Akin's name, you know, um, spoke in uh, his idea of to have Akjai humans. It spoke through the ship, and the ship had signaled the trade villages on Earth. You know, it asked for consensus and showed Don Kali what Akin had shown to the Kayak and Tikucha. The initial reaction was refusal and objection, you know, to the intensity of the experience, to the idea of experience of being from a child. But no one objected the idea of human agjai itself. Um, They were just basically, you know, not even talking about this. They're just sort of, like, ignoring it for the time being.
0: Yeah, it's interesting how they were, like, dodging the issue and just, like, complaining about the medium, as it were. It's just like, this, this is too... Uh, too loud effectively. Yeah, like, it's like, oh, this is a
1: child's experience. Like, we know, like, still, guys, come on. Mm. No, don't Kali can't lie. But the thing is, the Kali can't lie. They, they, give... they can't
0: lie, but it seems as though they can, like, avoid the subject. Yes, but <laughs> at the same time, what
1: I'm talking about is, like, Akin couldn't lie his experiences, right? He just showed them what mm. he experienced mm. on a personal level. So...
0: Yeah, yeah. so it seems as though they were kind of uh, like awkwardly beating about the bush a little bit before they actually engaged with the real material by complaining about something else. Absolutely,
1: (laughs) absolutely. Um, Akin was trying to follow the debate through the Agjay Uloid, drawing away whenever it got too intense or too fast. And here's an excerpt from the book. Drawing back felt like coming up for air. He found himself gasping, almost exhausted each time. But each time he went back, needing to feel what the Akjay felt, needing to follow the responses of the people. It was rare for children to take part in the consensus for more than a few seconds. No child who was not deeply concerned would want to take part for longer. It's crazy, mm. like, you know, like, the stimuli... I can, I can imagine that overstimulation from all those, like, input and output from all of these, like, different onkali must be crazy. It's just... I don't know, mm. like, I can't even imagine how how we even compare this to like an actual experience in humans
0: yeah this is really like you know plugged into the the matrix as it were yeah but with, with with a whole bunch of additional stimuli it's a uh, yeah uh sounds super intense <laughs> yeah but yeah i had um i wanted to draw an analogy between the um the kind of oankali chemical communication and the sort of distributed network mm-hmm. of, of how they they communicate to um uh, like mycorrhizal networks uh so the the the, uh, the networks that uh, the roots of plants and fungi uh, fungal myceliums or mycelia uh, form uh, in, uh, in in woods and and basically all over the place uh, because I think that that's probably one of the closest like analogies I can come up with in um, like real world biology mm. to what's going on in the the way that theo um, and Kali are able to kind of connect themselves up to this network uh, at least that that seems to be the case in that um...
1: but the question is how did they do it with the sh- uh, the you know villages on the earth right because we have the ship in the space how does how did do mm. they communicate with the
0: that is an interesting one yeah uh I, I don't think we've explicitly heard whether or not they have radio or anything um but uh yeah that's a just to yeah that kind of wireless stuff that's that yeah it's an interesting point we should probably get to that at some point I want, but um yeah go on just to to resume my uh, uh, to like deepen a little bit that analogy mm-hmm. right so there's some uh some interesting kind of emerging work it's still a bit unclear about um uh it seems as though the extent of the way plants and fungi communicate with one another mm-hmm. uh, through these mycorrhizal networks is, is uh, larger than we previously expected, but it's still not very well characterized. Mm-hmm. There's some, been some really interesting experiments showing that um, plants can have this kind of like source-sync interaction, wherein if plants are lacking carbon or nitrogen or whatever... They can effectively uh, like signal that via these fungal networks, and other plants can like share resources. Oh, really? with Related plants. Yeah, it's it's this uh, really fascinating set of uh, interactions and things like um, so uh, different behavior depending on whether or not damaged plants was inflicted by animals mm-hmm. or by like wind breaking the uh, the plant. Right. So if a plant detects it's damaged. Um, uh, you know, sort of like it's, it's bark being broken. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's animal saliva on the bark, its response is to produce tannins to make it bitter and deter animals from uh-huh. chewing on it. Uh-huh. Um, but apparently, this uh, this uh, uh, behaviour is like transmitted. To other neighbouring plants, and the only way it could really plausibly get there is like via these mycorrhizal networks. So that you know, if, like, there's this bush that doesn't really have any direct connection yeah. to its neighbouring bushes, and it gets nibbled on by like a a, a deer or something, um, as opposed to having like a branch snap in the wind and all the neighbouring plants also start like producing more tannins uh, yeah. to try and deter being eaten. It's a, it's fascinating. I've like, heard. Communication.
1: I've heard about this uh, in terms of. The- trees that were eaten by giraffes specifically the these trees I don't remember their names but they have really spiky sort of um like um needles I would say no, no it's more like the, the the tree bark itself that branches have mm-hmm. like little tiny branches that are super spiky right and they produce a very little of green greenery because mm-hmm. um, very high up to um, protect themselves against giraffes but of course giraffes have evolved to still be able to eat mm-hmm. but in terms of like um uh communication, those trees actually release sort of sort of like pheromones when they start being eaten eaten by, for example, a giraffe, a tree um, so that the neighboring neighboring trees start to produce this compound that's very, as you said, bitter it's not, I don't know if it's tannins or something else mm-hmm. um, at this point, but basically they start to release that more so that whenever other giraffes come and start feeding on them, they actually feel much more bitter. Uh, mm. almost poison uh, poisoning uh, almost thing like as a poison being released um, to pre- yeah, pre- prevent yeah. them but, i mean, it, eating the, the tree
0: it, it, it's, it's it's quite plausible that um, it could it could be something like that's pheromonal between the individual plants rather than necessarily like mediated via a fungal network but like there are some stuff that seems to be mediated via these fungal networks yeah. although that's it yeah it, it's still fairly unsettled <laughs> It's. I mean, it's There's pretty a lot of crazy. In that like you would think
1: yeah. that sh- definitely should be some interaction between the um, fungi and the plants, because I mean, it's the, there is a s- symbiotic um, behavior already. We mm-hmm. knew about it, and we are being taught about it in like, primary schools almost. But mm-hmm. the actual, um, you know, the actual, you know, how deep the, the symbiotic behavior is, like still, I would yeah. guess unknown. Like the
0: the 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 biochemical, the genetic, the evolutionary, uh, the the molecular biological aspects of all of those behaviors are still very much yet to be characterized. Yeah, but I feel like there's a whole area of kind of uh, like um, mycological ecology uh, that's uh, really starting to come into its own. Yeah, that's, that's not yet had much uh, research attention. Uh, Absolutely, there's this guy, um, uh, uh, Paul Stamets, who's kind of like an um, amateur mycologist there's a couple of interesting documentaries and stuff about uh, uh, this this guy and some of the people who have have worked with him Um, but yeah it seems like uh, that's an an area to pay attention to because there's some interesting stuff going on
1: no absolutely absolutely it's a shame that we don't really focus on it because you know there's no brain involved in it but then again it doesn't mean that there's not an equivalent of um consciousness of some sort of of some type maybe consciousness too much but like some sort of uh
0: at the very least, distributed information yes. processing yeah. of a fairly yeah. complex kind. Yeah.
1: yeah, I would say yeah, it's more of like an organic sort of type of a computer uh, interaction that there is some sort of input-output
0: um, yeah. behavior. I mean, all, all of biology is. is it, very much like that, yeah. right? That all, all. all of, it, it, I think it's a an aspect of a biology that's kind of underappreciated, right? It's very absolutely. much an information processing system, right? Yeah. Like all these, these cells are constantly doing complicated input output uh, stuff that has, it, it, you know, it's doing a lot of it's doing analog computation, right? It's it's mm, taking absolutely. a bunch of these signals, integrating them, and kind of making a choice depending on on what's in its genetic program, right? It's 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 very much doing computational tasks, yeah, uh, yeah.
1: I think we should start thinking about it like especially teaching about this more in schools to make people realise that this isn't like, you know, a plant justn't just you know, take uh carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and some sunlight and you no know, that's it. There's more into it than people realise, you know, in terms of like the whole broader perspective from the ecosystem. Um Yeah, yeah.
0: It's like plants have like really complicated behavioral repertoires whilst, you know, not appearing to do anything, anything yeah. on human timescales, right? Yeah. Like this
1: this is yeah. the thing, like this is the lack of appreciation that a lot of things that we do take on a microscopic sort of level that people are, mm. used, well, are not aware until we, you know, realize that there is microscopic events taking place, mm. you know, well, after we discovered microscopes and stuff like that. So it's... Mm. But I think this lack of appreciation is still taking place, right? Like even though we like we know it takes place, and even for example for myself, you know, I know that you know, quite in depth um, the chemical and biochemical reactions that take in the cells, but because you know we don't feel them or cannot really experience them except for the results of them, um, mm-hmm. we don't really think about it, and it's 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 sometimes hard to grasp your mind about you know, around them.
0: Yeah, I mean that's probably why, t- to a significant degree, some of the scientific disciplines in that area have like you know lagged behind in their like uptake of actual people interested in doing the research in those things. Right? Yeah, because like it, it's not been apparent to us that there's interesting stuff going on there, absolutely, at a reasonable you know scale for us to think about and feel about and engage with. But yeah, we're starting to notice. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean maybe one day in several hundreds or thousand years we will become like on and be able to uh, really sense the cell level sort of interactions into very more like personal level and that would be very interesting hmm. that would be crazy too like how how quickly would the dynamic of human dynamic would, would uh, change
0: yeah that would be a, a really interesting uh, like modification to our subjectivity <laughs> <laughs> having access to that kind of uh, sensory uh, sensorium I suppose that's the, the word I'm looking for yeah, yeah. <laughs> hmm.
1: but yeah um, so, as we would say, you know, uh, Akin could feel that Don Kali were avoiding the actual subject, now the Akjai humans. The reactions mm. confused him, turning away, denial, revulsion. So he tried to communicate his confusion through the Akjai. Initially, the Uloi did not notice its communication being occupied by the Kali, but when it did, it clasped Akin so that he would not be able to break the contact. It, bro- it broadcast his bewilderment letting people know they were experiencing the emotion of a construct child, a child too human to understand their reactions naturally, a child too onkali and too near adulthood to disregard. The onkali feared that the consensus would be too much for him, but the Akjay or Uloi showed that it was protecting Akin, um, but that Akin's feelings must be taken into account. The Akjay focused on the adult constructs aboard the ship and pointed out that the human born among them still needed to learn about the onkali understanding of life that it can be changed but not destroyed, that the humans could be blended in. Akin was still learning, someone interrupted, would giving them independent life not lead to the contradiction leading humans to their deaths? Many answered differently, they provided humans with long life, freedom from the disease, freedom of to live as they wish, but they shouldn't help them create more life just to destroy it, but Akin responded to allow him and those who support him to do it, to give them tools to create a world much more difficult than Earth, so that by the time they've learned the skills to settle it, the contradiction would be less. Maybe they would evolve by themselves, but all he got was sensory equivalence of nothing, denial. He reached out again in this desperate struggle against the exhaustion taking him, telling the Onkali that they should look at the human born among them and realize that the Onkali did almost nothing for the humanity. As an excerpt from the book, If your flesh knows you've done all you can for humanity, their flesh should know, as mine does, that you've done almost nothing. Their flesh should know how the resistor humans must survive as a separate, self-sufficient species. Their flesh should know that humanity must live. He then stopped. He should continue, but it was time to stop because he thought that although he shown them enough, he would try again as an adult or try finding those who, who would help against the majority of opinion. As he, rea- as he realized he was about to cut off children uh, by Dark he felt confusion among Don Kali. Maybe he did reach some of them, especially the human-born constructs. Maybe, maybe uh, made them think about their heritage. He would go to them in case their opinion went against him. But the Akjai Uloi told him to go to sleep. You know, still too young for all of it. And he will argue in his name. And when Akin asked why, you know, it responded, Because you're right, the Akjai said. If I were a human little construct, I would be a resistor myself. All people who know what it is to end should be allowed to continue if they can continue sleep and that's where the chapter ends yeah that's
0: a really interesting ending I, I i find the um actually the, the way the akjai kind of uh, took a keen's position quite uh quite affecting and yeah it's really you know, it's really kind of taken on this uh role of, of speaking uh, uh for him or amplifying his voice an interesting uh, conclusion there when and it seems as though the the Ancali are beginning to engage more seriously with, yeah uh,
1: Absolutely, it's interesting that you know the whole aspect of this consensus. Like, there are still a few things that are unclear for me for the consensus. Like, how do they start it? Mm. What sort of like Mm. you know, um, what what do you need to start like consensus? Because I mean, like, if you want to have a I don't know parliamentary debate, you need to like I don't know have a petition, I guess, and then you know have a representative, etc., But I wonder how, you know, like how would happen? How how does it start in non-Kali? type of thing and yeah it's interesting it,
0: it seems almost more um again as, as usually i'm more biological it's almost like there's a a, a quorum sensing type deal right where the, this issue is table and if enough of them like notice and pay attention to it then it, it uh, like flips into a full-blown consensus yeah. discussion it's a yeah uh, which is kind of like a uh a, a petition but less explicit yeah right? it, it's a and, and more kind of nuanced and multi um, multi-dimensional right yeah. it's not just like like the the, the petition mm-hmm. as it were doesn't convey just that the the number of people who are interested in the thing but rather like all of uh, the opinions like the of the all intensity those people. of how they feel about it yeah and yeah, yeah it's a it's a, an interesting dynamic actually mm-hmm. I, I was uh, gonna draw some analogies between that and some uh, interesting like innovations in in human political Go on. Uh, systems Right. Um, so the particular one I was thinking of, actually, um, especially in the dimension of um, you know, a lot of the this Owen Carley consensus process, seems to be about how they feel about a thing, mm-hmm. right? They they they're interested in in what it is that a keen feels. They're interested in his experience, and there's a um, an interesting tool that's used um, in uh, initial political consultations mm-hmm. that's effectively for analysing and collecting the sentiment of people about a, an issue. Uh, it's not about necessarily um, uh, policy specifics, but rather like how people feel about it, so what the policy should be mm-hmm. to reflect how they feel. Yes. Right? It's, a, it's a, a different kind of uh, consultation process to the conventional one. Uh, it's based on this tool um, called uh, Polis, uh, mm-hmm. which can be found at poll.is I think it was originally developed um, by uh, a some uh, a group um, focusing on, on democratic technologies at um, the University of Washington mm-hmm. in Seattle but it's been deployed perhaps uh, I think definitely most successfully um, in Taiwan mm-hmm. uh, as the the V Taiwan platform uh, which I think has around about half the population of Taiwan uh, oh wow which is uh, a, The population of Taiwan is about 25 million people, right? So there's a huge number of people who've engaged with this platform in one capacity or another, uh, which is impressive. Mm, Um, Absolutely. And uh, to go back to what I was, uh, to analogize again to what I was saying before about it not really being a petition, but also like reflecting how people kind of feel about the thing and not necessarily just the numbers. Like, uh, the way that Polis works is extremely difficult to kind of game it by having, like, a campaign of people come in and push for a particular thing. Effectively, all you do is, like, state your opinion about the consultation in a box, Mm -hmm. and then people can either agree or disagree with what you said, and and then it uses um, uh, some statistical methods, I think it's principal components analysis and k-means clustering, to, like, sort of sort people into like little bubbles so you get this impression of what the uh what different consensus opinions are on I the see, subject I see. and you get this uh kind of like visualization plot that gets you to like what the rough consensus is on the subject like what it is that like most people will find agreeable uh so you'd probably get this.
1: like age differences and then like regional differences on the pu- or of the opinion of certain aspect. That's very interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you can kind of see like the individual outliers, but you also get this uh, it, very often the graphs end up having a particular shape which is like the vast majority of people will agree with like this collection of sentiments on this gotcha, issue gotcha. um which is really interesting because it, it's this method of finding a rough consensus and then what they what the like the next step of engaging with this process is is you get all the stakeholders pertaining to that particular like policy question in a room mm-hmm. and focus on um solutions that meet the rough consensus that was decided yeah. by the so it's a really useful place to um effectively to start right because if, if you try and start having like like discussion with the stakeholders before you've gathered what the rough consensus is then you end up dealing with all of the polarized positions at the extremes and it becomes an unproductive conversation whereas if you already have what the consensus is mm. uh, then you can engage with actually producing something that uh works for the consensus uh, which is a, a a fascinating um approach it's involved for this uh this whole kind of notion of increasing the bandwidth of democratic engagement which is a, a phrase that's used by um audrey tang who is uh taiwan's uh um, digital minister the best girl technically yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and effectively the uh, you say that because i've mentioned her before <laughs> yes yeah I, I do
1: say that because you've mentioned her many times and i've listened to her um um presentations and few aspects and mm-hmm. i do need to say it's a person who really knows what they're talking about and um, I generally feel like I'm starting to see why you're so excited by Taiwan and their like their whole technology and implementation of certain aspects in their politics. Because holy shit, it really is something that I would want to see everywhere, basically, um, implemented.
0: Hmm. Yes, so I'm not not content with uh, with. Uh, uh... Getting us in in trouble for discussing uh, like, like the politics of consent. I'm now going to get us banned in China. Well, I mean, you know <laughs> for, for talking about Taiwan.
1: Shame. <laughs> oh, such a shame. <laughs> well, anyway, no, um, no.
0: but uh, yeah. So the um, it's it's a, a like the history of, of Taiwan's democracy is particularly interesting mm-hmm. uh, because they went from being uh, what was the. Yeah, so martial law um, of a kind of, like, military dictatorship-type regime ended in 1987, Mm -hmm. and then they had their first, like, fully democratically elected government in 96, 97, Mm -hmm. Um, and then in 2014, they effectively had, like, basically the only successful version of the Occupy movement, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, in, uh, that didn't really go anywhere except in taiwan with the, the the occupy and the sunflower student movement in 2014 where they occupied the parliament yeah um and the way they did it was really interesting um and so audrey and a bunch of the kind of civic hacking community and the the gov zero group which is another whole interesting subject in itself um uh were part of this group that occupied the parliament and they set up uh live feeds and they had kind of a, a, a relationship with journalists and everything so they would broadcast what they were doing in the occupied parliament to the world mm-hmm. and audrey had like a, a backpack full of ethernet cables to to make sure you could like, hardline connect all this stuff up um and the um uh, uh so that you know they were basically just engaging with like uh discussions with the members of parliament who were in the parliament they were occupying about what kind of policy reforms they wanted mm. to see. Uh, and, you know, they were you know, having a very uh, kind of uh, like peaceful protest movement. And it was very obviously a peaceful protest movement, which made it difficult for the, the police to in- engage yeah. with it because they were broadcasting it live. And it turned out very well, right? And Audrey then went on to be kind of uh, uh, what they call reverse mentoring some of the the ministers in the um uh, the the Taiwan government and I think was following the the uh, successful electoral victory of the DPP in 2016 uh, and and then eventually became a uh, a minister right she's now the, the technology minister or minister without portfolio uh who kind of does all these interesting projects to like uh, bring technological innovation and integration between different government departments it's crazy um,
1: it's I mean I mean it's honestly. Yeah. It's
0: fantastic so to can, like. You can probably tell, like, I'm super hyped about the way this is working. I know, I know,
1: absolutely, and I I, I understand <laughs> it fully. Like, um, it's we need more people like this, uh, that can show the all sort of people who are should you know like the lack of knowledge on technology and stuff like that, and more to to be introduced in all, all the countries, democratic countries. Um, really need to follow up with Taiwan's, you know, like democracy ideas, because it mm. really is something that we, you know, countries that are supposed to be democratic are, stra- are struggling quite a lot with.
0: Yeah. It's, it's very interesting if you look at the direction and magnitude of change in in democracy indices, mm-hmm. right? So if you take a look at the, um, like the democratic in, or the democracy index page, mm-hmm. and you look at Taiwan, uh, and you look at all the other places that we think of as having like really good democracies. Um, like uh, uh, um, all of those kind of navian countries mm-hmm. and like new zealand and a few other spots um, uh, like estonia uh, weirdly enough mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know, like basically everyone else is undergoing at least some re- regression in their democraticness yeah like it's it's going down a little bit but taiwan is going up and has been going up substantially right so they i think their last like 2019 2020 uh democracy index or something was like a a plus uh like 1.2 and the next follower up on the list was like a plus plus 0.2 or something and it's (laughs) like the 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 trajectory is like very much in the right direction whereas everyone else we think of as doing well is very much in the wrong direction yeah. yeah even if taiwan hasn't like quite uh, they 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 became a full uh, like a, a full democracy according to those ratings relatively recently, and then uh, like they've been increasing <laughs> seemingly since. So they're not they're not like perfect, or they've not gotten. To, I mean, you know, we don't expect perfectness, yet, but, like, but still, yeah, it's uh it's it's genuinely very impressive, and I'm I'm super excited about the way they're using technology in their democracy because it's an area that like it will. Uh, I mean, it Europe has to happen West now. Really I mean, fucked
1: up. <laughs> it has to happen now because otherwise. Like mm. it, it's going to be always too late and there's going to be something mm-hmm. always from it needs to be started to be introduced now that the whole idea of, you know, technology is part of our lives now. We cannot escape it. it we have to move on and just, you know, absorb this while we can.
0: Mm-hmm. And the the, the the way that um they've got kind of mainstream integration and acceptance of this stuff is really impressive and the way that the rest of the government apparatus in taiwan has engaged with the technology like i mean when you contrast like the um like the the worst clips of how the u.s senate engaged with like (laughs) oh god it's just like uh, like how do i fix my iphone to mark zuckerberg type stuff right you know all that um like the the worst possible version of that like they're not actually quite as bad as that but like it's (laughs) not it's not much better (laughs) Right, um, and then you've got the like in in the contrast in Taiwan is like the, they have a presidential hackathon.
1: Yeah, right. You mentioned that. So the, times, they has this yeah. pro.
0: Yeah, they they have this program where like a software projects that can like improve government services, uh, like compete with one another for, for for being like the best and like having the, the broadest impact across government services and stuff. They use this quadratic voting procedure to select the best projects, mm-hmm. and then like they get like a like the person who the group that wins gets like a de facto uh executive order right it's just like you you won the competition you get an executive order that says like your thing will be used and will be like policy and will be funded and developed within like 18 months to two years (laughs) you get the power of the executive behind that uh and they have this whole civic hacking movement gov zero where this the whole notion is like we take a fork of whatever the government services is and we you know make our own version of it and then merge it back uh, like if it's good and people like it it gets merged back into mainstream yeah. government services it's a it's a really uh really exciting and interesting um stuff that they're doing so so like for the, for the rest of the world's like policy wonks and whatnot like learn from taiwan
1: taiwan here <laughs> we come attention. basically
0: <laughs> no but honestly no. in all seriousness
1: it's 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 fantastic and those things need to be start being introduced in other countries because part of techno- technology that we live with is literally we take it for granted, but we really need to realize that it is part of our lives, and we need to start thinking about it more in more serious aspect than just you know, hmm. oh, funny video on TikTok, right? Type of type of thing. Yes,
0: uh, all of this technology has profound political implications. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it' affecting some of the most important aspects of, of our political settlement you know the freedom of, of speech and expression yeah. and uh, all of these uh, relatively deep issues but also you know like the ability to significantly impact on like mundane day-to-day quality of life mm. things right there's this there's so much uh, uh, scope of effect that technology has on our lives and yet our governance of technology, is like completely behind the curve at this point. And most of the kind of ills that we have of the kind of abuses and the problems that exist with technology arise from a a lack of successful governance of that technology. It's a a, a lack of engagement with like, what should the rules of engagement be for these things? Mm. And many of the solutions that are proposed or supposed solutions that are proposed by uh many of our governments in in, in in europe and america and other aspects of the west are, are just ill-informed right they're, they're, they're trying to fix the problem but they don't understand it so they're probably going to make it worse yeah i mean it's like you, you have to pay attention to the the way that yeah. the thing actually works That's uh no i know you need someone like uh someone like audrey who has this uh, really amazing ability to communicate this stuff she has a really interesting backstory uh she's actually um she's trans uh and uh when uh he at that point like uh was uh, l- l- leaving school um uh she, le- she left school at like 14 uh-huh. um uh because uh she was basically wanting to work on like writing academic papers and stuff <laughs> Just okay it's the like kind of prodigy uh and like the the uh, her school head was like totally okay with it um and uh uh, then you know she was she was like a hacker on on um, the the Perl six um, uh, virtual machine implementation mm-hmm. and, uh, and had a whole really interesting kind of engagement uh, in in the open source software community and then uh, you know like it transitioned to this whole like government and activism stuff mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah so someone with kind of uh, you know like prodigy level intelligence and a really deep understanding of technology. Uh, and also the the background in the open source community, I think, was really in, important there because a lot of the attempts that the West has made to integrate technology into government mm-hmm. have been informed by people who work in the um, who work in technology companies, yep. but who are not necessarily engaged with open source mm-hmm. um, or free software, depending on your. Uh, political inclinations in 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 the, the free software yeah the, the free software and the open source people have like different opinions it's, okay it's, it's complicated let's not get into that yep. right but the uh, that whole um uh space is very much about like community and distributed governance of software development it, it's it, it's uh, you know uh, stuff that respects the the like privacy and autonomy and uh, the contributions of, of many individual users to the software and it all has these kind it has like democratic and collective governance models to a significant degree which is like the antithesis of the way that software development mm-hmm. processes typically work in corporate settings not always but sometimes yeah right? so like, those very different attitudes to uh how you should develop and govern software like coming from an open source perspective and bringing that to government is much more compatible with an open democratic society than is coming from a corporate setting because it, like in, in that context it's kind of more compatible with an author- authoritarian governance mm. model but yeah it's a, 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 a yeah a, a unique combination of factors came together very interestingly in in taiwan and uh, like, yeah audrey was uh in the right place at the right time mm. and yeah it's a very very interesting yeah uh story we need a and
1: prodigy that. like that you know and here in uk for example <laughs> to uh do the same
0: thing yeah i think it's it's uh, uh like i want i want to give like audrey due credit but it's not just yeah of course uh, it's so not it. just her yes right it's like uh, the uh you know she, ha- she had a really um well, she had fertile soil, let's say, uh, to to plant the seeds of this uh, growing, and it, it yeah, uh, we need to pay attention to it and try and replicate it. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was a whole tangent um, because, uh, like, I'd, I'd like to see in some ways our democratic processes mirror more closely the way that the Oankali seem to do theirs, right? Yeah, the ability to uh, engage on the fly with a uh, Complex and interesting, um, multi-million, no discussion. S- basically, people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Subject with, with with yeah, huge numbers of participants. Right, that that's the kind of. Uh, uh, like high bandwidth, high complexity interestingly nuanced thing where a collective decision needs to be made effectively but at the moment our mechanisms of, of uh, democratic processes seem ill-equipped to handle that kind of complex problem um, and we yeah, we need to do something to fix it and it seems like uh, Taiwan's come up with some interesting stuff in that direction uh, Yeah
1: yeah, I, um, I want to see that in my lifetime, mm-hmm. hopefully Yeah, me too but yeah, I guess let's go to my chapter 11 predictions of uh, coming sure. off the tangent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I wrote one thing, but I'm not certain if uh, if it's going to take place yet. But mm-hmm. it's the last chapter of the book of that, of that um, part as well. So mm-hmm. uh, I thought that the consensus is that th- there is going to be a consensus. And then it's that th- there should be an actual human, pure humans. Uh, but for it to take place, Akin must lead the way to create a world for them. So if you want it, basically they're going to say, Akin, mm-hmm. if you want to happen, it to happen, you'll have to do it, basically. Okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, though, if it's going to happen now, if there's going to be some sort of like, um, co- oh, this is going to be a continued discussion, you go back to Earth or something. And then we'll get let you know when what the co- conclusion is when you're on while you're on the Earth, type of thing. Um, but I'm not sure, not sure.
0: To be fair. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, I think a pretty reasonable prediction. Uh, the 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 little extra bit of like a key must uh, kind of lead the way is a good uh, extra bit of. Uh... Specifics. I mean,
1: it's you know he proposed yeah. it and he experienced of it, so he, I'm sure they'll be like, mm-hmm. yep, if you want it, go for it. Will not stop you, but um, but they'll, I'm, sh- it'll be interesting because it'd be cool if they like called it not the actual human, but I don't know, akin humans, like you know, t- different types of Onkali that completely separated from the actually you know three tribes and became different, so like the fourth tribe this time, um, mm. that sort of. Preserves the original species or something type of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like a um, a bit of a new innovation for the conventional like uh, three branch structure of the O yeah. right? You've got the uh, uh, a, a, an added uh, element of symmetry, right? The the species that they're trading with also gets its own actry branch. Yeah, it's a I don't know, call it a, um, a civil rights advancement. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah. So yeah,
1: I guess that's it for today, right? I think so. Yeah. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. We are Xenothesis. You can find all the places we upload uh, our podcast on xenothesis.com. I was Michael Glinka. And I was Richard Acton. Bye bye.